This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you know you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, unlike the Owls, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So there's only one thing left to say. What's everybody having? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means you'll get some tasty rewards later on. And between you and me, if you order just before kickoff, you can get it just in time for half time. But I've not told you that. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery free and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. See you later. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. The Wednesday Week is sponsored by Michael Constantine Wealth Management. We bet you can't find a financial advisor closer to Hillsborough Stadium. So, uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to uh, welcome to another live Wednesday week. Now, as you can see, I'm putting my posh voice on because tonight's guest scares the absolute bejesus out of me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please make sure a big round of applause for Mr. Guy Branson joining us tonight. So, uh, Guy, known as the you know as a as an enforcing centre back, uh, you know, bit of a centre back myself, uh, being being a big lad, but you know, I wouldn't want to mark you in a corner. Um, you know, I. I want you to tell us about your journey into football. Tell us about your journey around football and your time in South Yorkshire and the rest of it. Um, what we'll do, we'll, we'll go around the room. I'll tell you what, Ben, as usual, do you want to kick us off? I can do, but Dave, you were wanting to say about Leicester, weren't you, which is where a guy started. So. Well, this is it. I mean, we just built it all up to make it Wednesday-oriented. We're going to have the whole career. <laughs> I'm going to go straight to Leicester City because that's where you started, Guy, if I'm right in saying. So you're a young man. In a in a very sort of tough team at that time, what was it like when you've got? I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had a dressing room with Jerry Taggart, Steve Walsh, Matt Elliott, Ian Marshall. What was it like not to be the hardest guy in the room? <laughs> um, they they were fantastic guys. Uh, the fact that I got to train with them and work with them was an unbelievable experience for me as a kid. You're talking about me being a 16-year-old, so give me time. I was growing up into something. <laughs> uh, I was about 16 when they were there. So, no, nah, they, they were just good people. I mean, one of the toughest you didn't mention was probably Neil Lennon. Mm-hmm. Um, his calves were huge. His legs were huge. He was a stocky Irish kid, you know, real top, top talent on the ball and off the ball and, and a fantastic guy. Um, Marshy was unbelievable. You know, he's a... A character, biggest man I've ever met in my life, considering, you know, I've been around a lot of clubs. Mm-hmm. Matt Elliott was just a nice, nice, placid guy, you know, always smiling, always really friendly and happy. And, and Walsh, I learned a lot off. And, and uh, Jerry Taggart was, again, uh, someone who, who, who kind of came um, out the blue mm-hmm. 
probably my second or third year as uh, being at Leicester. And, and, and inevitably, I wasn't going to come through and he was there to take my place with a lad called Phil Gilchrist. Mm-hmm. Went on to West Brom. And when I look back and, and question the so-called why didn't you make it at your own club and all the stuff like you do as a, as a competitor, you can see probably why from time to time with the talent I had in front of me and, and the difficulties I was having myself off the pitch and in regards to staying focused on the pitch. So it was a real good eye-opener for me what professional football looked like with them characters bouncing around bollock naked in most of the dressing rooms, whatever you walked into, they were naked. It was that sort of environment back then. But it's like a it didn't uh, scar me and I can only remember all memories. <laughs> I tell you what, those uh, those list of players that Dave mentions, their their guy, they you must have some stories about them. About you know what I mean? I don't know how much you, how much you can uh, you can say live on Facebook, but like I can just imagine that that group of players having like a an after work fight club in the car park. You know what I mean? Or, or something like that. You know what I mean? Because Jer- Jerry Taggart looked like some bloke from the pub, but was a elite professional football player. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, well, Jerry Jerry lived above a nightclub in Barnsley, I think, when he first started coming <laughs> back from Man City, and there was there was they just used to there was just a togetherness that um, I've only seen replicated a couple of times across certain football clubs, and and you know in in my opinion, when I went to Sheffield Wednesday, a, a big thing that Chris Turner uh, wanted to implement was the togetherness at Leicester City because Chris had been there a year as my youth team coach mm. at Leicester. So he knew a lot about me, um, knew about me off the pitch, on the pitch, knew about me as a character and really wanted me to use that um, ability to galvanise and, and group together groups of lads that are probably different in nature, but use it and, and, and really harness a, a group spirit. And we kind of started that, I think, um, that, that Sturrock took to another level, fair dues to him. But we kind of we kind of harnessed that in an Ibiza trip, which I'll come to later on in, <laughs> in, in this talk if you want me to. So... Going back to the Leicester uh, group, there was just some really, really nice people that, you know, you learn you learn from them, and, and every day was a learning experience, and, and especially about cultures and about uh, quality of togetherness. Um, they socialised together, they drank together, they fought together, they fought on the pitch, they fought off the pitch, but everyone kind of got on with it. And my youth team, um, we had some good lads coming through. Stefan Oakley went on to have a league career. Stuart Campbell went on to have a league career. Stuart Wilson played 40-odd times for the first team in the Premier League, went on to have a lower league career. Uh, Matty Piper was coming through as a baby, who had to retire with his needs. There's a lot of TV now and radio. Emil, obviously, Emil Heskey, who everyone knows. Um, they were that my youth team group, so we were getting involved with the first team. So there's quite a few of us uh, mixing with the first team group, and I was probably the worst out of that group, if I'm honest to go and train with the first team because technically I was nowhere near them players but you know physically I was quite strong and and I'd go and tackle a wall and and they appreciated that in training and and I got I got kind of hauled in every so often by the gaffer to go and you know kick someone up the backside or do something I needed to do and on the pitch and then got hauled off again when I'd done my job after about 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> I love so, that. Uh, now it was usually I think I was usually chasing Robbie Savage in training for, for whatever pressing <laughs> pressing game we were playing or something like that. Now, before Ben moves us on, uh, you mentioned Emil Heskey. Now, there, I remember when Emil Heskey burst on the scene and, uh, and Leicester had a tremendous season when, when they were, were, during that year. Now, 
there was a there was a rumor, and and they spoke to it was his dad who started this rumor because I heard him on the radio once, and and I never believed it because when you look back on Emileski, you think you look at the shape of the guy, you think no, that can't be true. But there was a he had a choice of whether it whether he could be um, an elite level sprinter or or a professional footballer, and it, and it, obviously because the money's a lot more lucrative in in football, that's 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 what he chose. I mean because. Emil, when he went to Liverpool, for example, changed as a striker, didn't he? Because he became the big number 10, like the telegraph pole that you spanked the ball at. But when he first broke onto the scene, he was rapid, right? Was he Was he that rapid? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll, I'll just make a note of that guy. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, there, was, there was Julian Jochim, mm-hmm. uh, Neil Lewis, I would say uh, Jamie Lawrence at Bradford, mm-hmm. Um, Neil Lewis come through. He was a fullback, lost his way a bit. But Julian Jochim was 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 mm-hmm. up there. Uh, Julian burst onto the scene with Robbie Fowler in the the, the Toulon tournament in the um, under twenties, and then went on to have a good good career uh, as a rapid striker. But Eski was six foot three, probably six foot yeah, probably six foot three or four, mm-hmm. and just as quick as Julian, who was probably five foot five. Mm-hmm. So there was an element of well, where's he getting this power from, and and Again, I knew him from, say, Sunday football as a kid because that was the pot of um, players that were around then when I was playing against him and, and I played a division low. That's how good the division high was that he played in. And the Sunday football back then was dangerous, if you want to call it that. Um, it was very physical, very um, dogs on the side of the pitch, you know, really in the city sort of uh, environment that we grew up in as normal Sunday football. Uh, so Emil come from, I would say, a really nice area called Evington in Leicester. And I came from Broadstone, which is a shithole. And <laughs> go over there and, and turn up um, at, say, a Sunday afternoon, you know, go and try and play against their team. And and he, he played for a team called Ratby and Gruber, which was another posh area. And he'd play anywhere. You know, this boy was just a, ta- just a natural physical talent but also unbelievably technically gifted. Um, could play right back, midfield, centre forward. He's just positive on everything he did. And you know, uh, the lad off the pitch was phenomenal. So, you know, I can't rave about him enough. He was such a nice guy. His dad was a lovely guy. Um, his dad was a doorman in town. So we always got him free. So I got to say he's a nice guy. <laughs> you just um, got him free. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you saying? No one had turned you away, were they? No yeah, one's yeah. gonna say no. I'm sorry, Mr. Brunson. You're not coming again, in tonight. Jesus. Yeah, we're, talking about, no, no, we're talking about we're talking about seriously big guys here. You know, I'm I'm six foot. They, these are six foot fours and fives and bigger. <laughs> you know, I'm 100 kilos. They're probably 130, 140 kilos. Oh. So if it's going to go off, it's going to go off in a in a in a really raw sort of style. But <laughs> we, we never wanted we never wanted to push extra kilos. Good stories come out of it. Well, well go, go, go on then. So, so like you know, you're you're in town. Jerry Taggart's probably ten pints deep. It looks like a, it looks like a bitter guy to me. You know what I mean? So, you know, you must have got up to some stuff when you were when you were out in town. Yeah. <laughs> I shared um, I shared <laughs> I shared a journey home from Florida with Jerry Taggart, and I've never seen the mini bar of a plane going long haul <laughs> emptied uh, by by one man. By one man. Just leave, just leave it I there, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I, I get off, and as as we're getting off, we must have half an hour on the court waiting to be accepted onto the um, 
the conveyor belt to go and get your stuff, you know. And he's sitting there on the plane, you know, twiddling his thumbs, need another drink, I need another drink. And I'm going, well, when he got half an hour, he can go and get a coffee, you know, like naive kid. <laughs> I just turned 18. I just turned 18. I'd just gone back into Leicester's camp. And they'd invite me to the American tour, uh, Premier League American tour that we went to in Florida, which is an unbelievable experience. And obviously shared 10 days with them. And I'm sat next to Jerry Taggart and the um, the main reporter. And the, Jerry's just cracked on, proper cracked on. It's end of season, he's having a good drink. Anyway, that half an hour, he must have done really... I can't, I can't even imagine how much the cost of the bottle of brandy he'd bought for his parents was. But he then drank that in that half an hour. <laughs> and I've gone, like... I, I ain't a big drinker, and I don't mind admitting it. I, I, I had a drink on a Saturday night with the lads, but to then drink... Like that excessively is beyond me. Like, and and to watch him it. do that put me off drinking for life because <laughs> I could just imagine the hangover. The worst thing about this, no, no banter. The worst thing about this was he got off the bus, stone cold sober, from the East Midlands, yeah, East Midlands at the time, to Leicester, which is about half an hour. He got off the bus, stone cold sober, after continuing to drink. And then offered me a lift home. <laughs> and I'm going, now, nah, Jerry, do you want me to drive? I couldn't, even, I couldn't even drive at the time, but I was safer on the road. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Honestly, it's, it's out of my system now. It's out of my system. So, yeah, there was all them um, surprise elements of professional football. The, the oh, wow. Bournemouth trip later on, uh, the pre-season following, um, I think we went to Greece and Bournemouth at the, at the same season if I remember rightly. And that, they were both unbelievable experiences, again, as a young lad, uh, learning the ropes of top, top elite footballers. Amazing. Amazing. So I'm, I'm just waiting for you not to jump in. No, no, no. I, honestly, I could sit and listen to it all day. Vic, I'll come to you and then I'll, and then I'll go to Ben. Go on, Vic. Oh, Steve, Steve's chomping at the bit. Just, yeah, Steve, Steve's jumped in. Steve even yeah. the, the, the the camera. <laughs> it's been a long day um no you you talk about these these sort of drinking sessions and what have you and, and the lads would go out and have it and, and and get on it sort of thing what was it like the morning after in training sessions the, were they sort of were they were they able to to get to get through them or was it a bit of a heavy session i i honestly I, we i probably stopped Going out in the week when I was about 25, 26, I didn't really notice it um, affecting my, my so-called game. I probably, personally, I didn't particularly drink a lot compared to others. So I would sometimes go out in the week and drive and take others out. Um, again, we'll go on to a few stories about the Sheffield Wednesday lads and the good, the good ones and the good stories. But when working with the Leicester lads, it was... There was Mondays and Wednesday club, which were good. And then they play on a Saturday and produce on a Saturday. But within the training sessions within the week, you kind of did well at the weekend. You got days off anyway. So there's manipulation of the, the I suppose, the rules and regs. And, and these lads could could train the next day like like nothing, you know, <laughs> like it didn't affect them. We, we now know that there's an element of performance level dropping. We do that. We know that. But we knew that anyway. And... And we got on with it and probably the relaxed element that some of these lads felt from time to time helped them in their game and for the pressure that they're under. So I don't say it's the, the best thing to, to do. I trust me, because I'm not, I'm not that way inclined. But 
I did look at some of them, you know, mis misplaying balls from time to time, wondering who they're who they're actually seeing. <laughs> but you uh, you learn to live with that as you were growing up, and you you know you end up giving enough passes away yourself, so you can't really knock a top liner elite athlete when he's had half a few the night before. And Lenny loved it. You know, Neil Lennon was was unbelievable for it, and he'd sweat it out the next day and crack on Saturday and be man of the match. Jesus. <laughs> I'll tell you what, right then. Uh, do you want to go in, Vic? Well, Ben, Ben will bring us in Sheffield Wednesday. I've just got a question from Facebook, but it'll oh. kind of lead in from Sheffield Wednesday, I think. Go on then, Ben. Yeah, we, it, you mentioned the Ibiza trip under Chris Turner when you first joined, and I, I had read an article earlier where you do get a mention from John Paul McGovern saying that you were the practical joker. So what... what Tell us about it. No, I, 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 I seen a similar thing. I, I don't think I was. I thought I was quite calm. I was trying to be like, because Chris had warned me. Chris had said, look, you're only coming in. Because you, you imagine going from, look, going from Rotherham in the championship to Sheffield Wednesday in, in, in the division below. I didn't realise how big Sheffield Wednesday was, right? And I know it sounds ridiculous to a Sheffield Wednesday fan, but respect me when I say this and respect me for the way I'm thinking is because... I've come from Rotherham in the championship, right? And I've crossed the road, right? That's all I've done. I've crossed the road. I've gone from one side of the motorway to the other into this hotbed of, of you've just signed for Sheffield Wednesday. You've just signed for Sheffield Wednesday. I go over to Rotherham. No one hardly speaks to me. It's fine. Like, you go to the pubs and that's all dead relaxed. You go into Sheffield. Are you, are you, is that you? Are you Guy Branston? Yeah, 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 Guy Branson. Yeah, oh, oh, you just have Sheffield Wednesday. I've watched it at Rotherham kill Lee Bradbury. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. And like, they'll be on them. Like, like, you're in Meadowall walking around Meadowall and the game's changed. You know, the whole game's changed. The whole layout's changed. So, Chris has obviously told me, like, you, you're going to be a, like a, a pretty, like, low-end famous footballer in Sheffield. And I'm like, fuck off. Just played in the championship with Rotherham. No one knows who we are. You know, turn up on a day and take two one result and fuck off. That'd be done, done. And no one even speaks to you afterwards. You won't even get a paper mention in the paper. We've won two one and just move on. But Sheffield Wednesday was like it was a big deal. So there was a mental shift in 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 my mind that I had to go and like knuckle down. If I get this right, I could get back to where where I think I want to be, and that's back in the championship, obviously with Sheffield Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So I took Did it you- very seriously, and he said to me. Oh, Oh, mate. So, sorry, yeah, I was just going to say, did you did you find it when you when you talk about that switch from from Rotherham to to Sheffield Wednesday? Um, you know, you, the, you you'd you'd walk around the zone and you you you've not been bothered. You, you're kind of all right, and then going down the league, did you did you find yourself subscribing to it a little bit? And all of a sudden, walking around Players Bar with your collar turned up and shit like that, like you know, you don't come across as that type of guy. Don't get me wrong, but did you start did you start feeling it a little bit? That ain't me, mate. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Fuck all that. That's not me. <laughs> I, uh, I, I just, I, if I went out, if I went out, just like did me normal, go out and enjoy myself. I weren't really that bothered. I, I, I found, I, I found it quite intriguing that people want to speak to you. So I'd speak to them. So I'd spend a lot of time speaking to people from, from time to time. You know, in, in Medawar and places like that. I, I think it's, I think it's a lovely thing. I think it's beautiful that people want to speak to you about it. I, I never, I never ever had a problem with it. Um, if anything, it's 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 a pleasurable pastime meeting different people who who have fond memories and fond, I would say, fond things about their club. 
So I never, I never took it as, as being disrespectful or cocky or anything like that. I just seen a massive difference in the influx of people wanting to speak to you. The, 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 the regularity became more, you know, don't get me wrong. Rotherham fans are unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. They're treating me, they still treat me so well now. And I can go to Rotherham and go out in Rotherham and get recognised and they'll say hello to you and I'll say hello to people that you see. But it's a small town. You know, this is a major city now we're talking about. And you're going into an influx of, 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 of serious rivalry between the two clubs, which obviously one was miles ahead than the other one at the time. And we're trying to get back up there. So there's pressures on. And, and I, I liked that. That's why I signed there. You know, I, I couldn't wait to get started. And I, and I didn't want to let um, Chris Turner down and Colin West, who I'd worked with at, at um, Rushton Diamonds. So these are guys who knew me, you know, personally, which I think is massive in recruitment anyway. And not, not because you sign your mates, but more so yeah. you sign the character. And I think that my, my character got employed a lot because of how I was as a person. You know, I could go and sit with, with just an example, Craig Rowcastle, and then make sure Proudlock gets in the car safe, because he, he, you know, he needed help because he's a bit wild. But then I could go and get, you know, the, the Scots, and have a bit of banter with the Scots about all sorts of things because we had, a, you know, an influx of lads turn up. And, and we, you know, it was just, I was that sort of person. So I wanted to make sure that I got where I got with it. And, and you know, I didn't, which was disappointing for me, but... You know, I took a lot of plaudits out of a lot of them getting promoted because of the games I played in it. And, you know, I made some good, good, solid friends from the football club experience because it was a fantastic turn, place to turn up and work. I'll tell you what then. So I, we'll, we'll come to the promotion season in just a second and, and, and what happened after it. Well, uh, what's the question from, from Facebook, Vic? Okay, so the question from Facebook is from Martin, who says, despite Sheffield Wednesday's poor start to the season, did you have a sense that it would be a successful campaign? And was it difficult to tell with so many new players coming in at the time? That was that, that was our thoughts on, on the difficult start to the season because we, we, we had such a strong bond. And usually if you work hard, you get out of it. Or either way, you know, if you're in relegation, you work hard, you can usually turn it around and, and vice versa, you know, if you're having a bit of a stinker in form, get back to the training pitch, you know, work incredibly hard, you get out of it because usually quality tells. Mm -hmm. So it, the big thing that I always hear about, like Sturrock and things like that, Sturrock added another level to our fitness levels that, that I've never seen before in football. And if anything, it's probably detrimental to me physically because it didn't work on uh, periodization. It worked on just throttling you in regards to running. And physically, I was like, what the fuck is this? This is, a, this is ridiculous. And and I, I made that known because, you know, I'd gone from Rotherham where we were incredibly fit. We'd had back-to-back -back promotions and kept in the championship. I'd have never seen any running like that. To then Paul Sturrock's running, which was like, what, what, what is this? It was it was like painstaking. It was it was hamstring pulling. It was, it was hurtful. It was... You know, driving you to the point of falling over with your training sessions, and then we day of a game we were training as well, and I was going, "Are we thinking about this physically? Like we've got some older lads in this team, you know, we need rest as well as you know running." But I made that known, and, and again, that's my character. I'm just that sort of person. But going into the the, I suppose the question, you, <laughs> it's a difficult. If it's a really difficult one to answer, I'll be honest with you. Surely, like, the move from Rotherham, so you did drop down, obviously, too, as you went on loan a little bit while you were at Rotherham, but why why would you do that drop if you didn't think you were going to come back up? 
Yeah, I, I wasn't. Make him angry, again. Vic. He's massive. Oh, right. I, just, I don't know why I said that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> No, no, I, yeah, but I don't. I, listen, it's a val- it's a valid point, but I, I don't think I was dropping down. If anything, I was stepping up to a, ma- the, the, a massive football club. You know, I'd, I'd gone from, I suppose, travelling around doing what I was doing to being really settled up north. My brother had moved up north. He met a lovely girl. They're still up north now. You know, they'd moved to Chapel Town. I was living in Rotherham. I ended up buying the house in Sheffield. I moved to Hillsborough, got a flat in Hillsborough. You know, I, I just loved the area. I, I loved Sheffield. I had five, six. I think it was five years there and kept the answers for a few more years after that. So, you know, I didn't see it stepping down. If anything, it was a step up from a step up for me personally because of the club and the where I was going after really some really good successful seasons. I was mistreated at the end by Rotherham, the way they treated me personally. It was very old fashioned, you know, we'll, we'll just keep them in the corner. And and and, and I, I believed again that, that they should have treated me better at the end of it after I'd helped them get promoted you know, back to back. And I, and I felt like, you know, they were taking a piss, if I'm honest. So I was quite happy to leave at the end of it, which was disappointing. And, you know, we were in the championship on, what? I think I think my most I've earned at Rotherham in the championship was 1,200 quid <laughs> in a week. And wow. Exactly. And it's, it, it's, yeah, I know it's scary to think, but we was playing against lads on 30 grand a week and competing. And, and even... Even when I watched in the pandemic some of the games that, that they put, like, put on live, and I've gone, I was a good player, you know. <laughs> like, I'd forgot that. Like I, I, I was all right, you know. I was, you know, I was strong. I was, I was, I was pretty quick because obviously I, I didn't, I didn't even remember me being that quick. And I'm, I'm keeping up with some like good championship strikers here on a regular basis, and I'm going. How come I didn't earn any money out of that deal? <laughs> and then I'm thinking back, you know, the problem just didn't pay. You were there yeah. for quite so, like, well, probably like one of the longest points of your career, weren't you? So there must yeah, have, I mean, what attracts someone what was... to stay in Rotherham that long? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Rotherham's a great place. You know, I, again, I, mean... I, had, I had, I no, no, honestly, I had <laughs> three or four good years there. Hey, midweek, it was always about Sheffield. I don't get me wrong, because again, I had an amazing time there. But in at the weekends, it was all about Rotherham. So you, you made sure that you, you you tried to live your life as much as you could within the area you're in. And like I said, you cross over the road, you're in a major city. You cross back and you're in a nice, you know, nice little town. And it, it, there were nice people to me. So I can only go off what how they treated me, you know. Ben's still up there. Ben's taking one for the team, aren't you, Ben? Hey, I, I grew up in Rotherham. I like Rotherham. <laughs> The Wednesday week is sponsored by Michael Constantine Wealth Management. We bet you can't find a financial advisor closer to Hillsborough Stadium. Now, <laughs> I, t- I tell you what, listen, listen, guy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you back into the story time right now. I've made notes. I don't know what this is. It looks like it looks like I've got my oh, national Michael. record of achievement, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I tell you what, so <clears throat> there was, we had Matt Hamshaw uh, on the show uh, back in the back in the first lockdown. And uh, and I'm sure we'll get onto this later, but you, you know this this is not the thread I want to pull out. He was talking about the way the um, the promotion team was pulled apart at the end of that season, but we'll get to that in a bit. What he what he wants what I want to ask you about is that there is a moment that Matt talks about uh, that promotion season where you said there were some Scottish lads come in, like people like Lee Peacock. You had a few you had a few other lads coming in, and and uh, and apparently you bet him how many pound coins you could fit up your hand. <laughs> 
he said he said there's like 22 quid up there. I'm like, as if I'm not asking him that. <laughs> that's his. Um, that's Madam Shaw's best banter, I think. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That, yeah, that was his best story. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, no, it was a a party trick that that sometimes I had to pull out to get some money in my pocket and. Yeah, you know, the lads didn't ever wanted the coins back, so I'd probably make 22, 23 quid a shot. <laughs> and uh, it used to work out quite well in my favor. I did it most summers for the majority of the summer. Did you do it every week at Rotherham to top up your wages? Than... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and made sure I come back with more money. I'll tell you what, remember, I... we had Ken Booth then, though. We had yeah, Ken Booth, and he was a, a scrap metal man, so he, he never liked paying anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're talking about earning 1,200 quid in the championship, you were supplementing it every week with an extra £22 bonus, like, you know what I mean? And I'll tell no, you no, what... No, that's, eight, no, no, that's, that's once. I was doing this, like, four or five times a day. <laughs> <laughs> give me a pound, give me a pound. So, no, 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 no. The lads used to say, like, Brano, come on, come on, Brano, come on, Brano. And it used to get to a stage where I was doing it, like, all the way through the holiday. Through the, through the day whilst we're all getting steaming. Come on, Brano. Surely you get 24, 25. And I'm going, well, I don't know about that, lads. It's your own problem. I bet you never so, get stuck like, at Morrison's, do you? You've always got a trolley. Just pop one out. Yeah, well, the, the, to be fair, you're right. I did get some stuck once in it and I had to go and see the doctor. We got caught right at the back of the, 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 the sinus passage. <laughs> and um, it, it, it started going near my eye, actually. But, <laughs> uh, no, there's, um, there's loads of there's loads of stories like that that we did. I mean, the again, the IB for trip was eye open to some of the ones, and and Matt, Matt being Matt was like, he was like a vicar as a footballer when he was like, you know, he was the pastor you go and see um, within the club, or or he was like, he was just Mister Serious for me, and, and like Mister Serious at the club, and I was like, fucking lighten up, mate. <laughs> but he, he he shared a room with me, and I think it mentally scarred him when Proudlock turned up and. He'd shit in like two baskets of bread baskets. <laughs> and he put two baskets outside the, 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 the door. And he did it every day for seven. Well, I think we're there for five days. He did it every day for five days in various different people's rooms in bread baskets. So, of course, he did it to Amshaw and Amshaw was scarred. Scarred. I think, he, I think he was like torn to pieces on that. But these are the stuff that, you know, people don't realize go on, you know. <laughs> Don't think I'd have wanted it to be in my room after, after day four or five of the holiday. I can't imagine that would have been a very nice, uh, nice yeah. thing to leave in a basket. <laughs> I know, but it, it was, um, it was like I said to you, it was a get to know meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a get to know week, and we we got to know each other. And <laughs> look, turns Chris turn I knew anyway from Leicester, and he liked he liked to have a drink. Um, and he wanted the lads to have a drink, but he wanted the lads to have a drink when it was, the time was right. So we grafted all week. Um, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't a particularly, uh, I would say, physical week in regards to game time, but we, we worked hard on the training pitch for four or five hours a time on board G3, G, and it was incredibly hot, and we ran a lot, and I mean a lot, and we then played the games. I think we played what, yeah, Watford, IB for and Press, I think the games were. And we got to the final and he was really pleased with us because obviously we looked like we were galvanising and getting together and he said, look, can't go out. He says, Sheffield Wednesday, the biggest club out of the lot, even though, like I said, Watford were there, Sean Dyche was there, we were playing at the time, Watford, um, Preston were there with Craig Brown at the time. And 
I go, what? You can't go out, Gaffer. He's gone, can't go out. I says, you've been out every night. He went, yeah, I know, but, you know, I'm the manager. I went, yeah, I get that, but the lads have done great. Look, you know, I'll personally take responsibility if anyone plays up. I've spoke with Lee Bullen, and if anyone take, you know, I'll personally take responsibility, but I don't see the lads messing around. I see you've got a great, good set of lads here. You've done fantastic in your... And I was absolutely blagging. I'm thinking, fuck, you know, I, I desperately can think. And, of course, me and Lee, me and Lee, Phil, um, me and Lee Peacock and, and Lee Bullen said, look, lads, well, I said, he said we can't go out, but if you behave, I'm sure we'll be able to get out anyway and have an hour. But make sure we stay one side of the island, don't go where he's been going out. So we got the busman who was looking after us, and he, he was basically the concierge. I went, where do we go? He went, oh, there's a nightclub down the road called Pasha. I went, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, well, I can get you in, don't worry about that. Of course, the lads went out, and a lot of them didn't come back in the morning. Because, you know, young lads, I be far going missing, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I see it must have been Richie Evans, Craig Armstrong, um, Louis Marn, all walking back in the morning. And I got up early after the night out and I was feeling sick, Red Bull and vodka sick, you know, all on my chest. Pradlock was in my, in my room. Um, I'm sure was in, asleep in the skip because I think we kicked him out halfway through the night. Uh, Dave Lucas was in my room. And I've gone, missing a few players here. Like I'm counting them in the morning for breakfast. And he walked through reception. Who's in reception? Chris Turner. He's asleep on the sofa, all, all wrapped up like that. And I ain't done this on purpose. I'm just on my, my sofa. He's all wrapped up like this. He's got his pants on. His trousers are all neatly folded at the end of the sofa. And this, this is the manager telling us the night before that you, you shouldn't be going out, but, you know, you're not going to behave. So we get on the bus. Anyway, I wake Chris up and say, look, Chris, you're going to have to come and, and take training. He went, I can't, I can't take training. I, I can't take training. I went, well, who's going to take training then? He went, well, look, just get him on the bus and we'll figure it out. So we're waiting. And we must be half an hour late. And we're still about four or five lads down. And this is, now I'm figuring out, it's Paul Eckibottom, uh, Lee Peacock, did I say Lee Peacock's in my room? Mm -hmm. it was, oh yeah, of course. Proud, Proud is in my room. Lee Peacock's missing. Icky Bottom's missing. Lue, Evo and uh, Craig Armstrong. So still waiting on the bus from this 45 minutes in. Chris turns up. We're late for the last day. We've got to catch the train, uh, catch the plane later on. And we're going on this bus. And he went, right, fuck them. They're not here. I says, all right, well, look, Gaffer, look, give them, give them, give them five more. No, 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 no. If they don't want to, I said to you, you weren't going out. You, you said to me, they'd be great. They'd behave and everything. These five lads, you turn up. It's your fault. I said to Gaffer, look, yeah, you're right. I did. I did say it was, I'd take the blame. But realistically, these lads should be here, shouldn't they? He said, I said, look, give five more minutes. Anyway, they didn't turn up. Five were missing. We, we thought, what do we do? And we had a, the secretary now is Lindsay. Uh, I think Hilton, Hilton is it? Lindsay. Yeah, anyway, Lindsay, 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 Lindsay. Yeah, Lindsay at the time was the PA, right? She was our first PA. And we've got Lindsay, what, you know, what do we do? And she went, oh, I don't fucking know. Chairman's going mad. Dave Allen's going mad. I says, fucking that don't surprise me, does it? You know, moaning again. And uh, he wanted to find us all. And also, anyway, so we're getting the, the coach right. No banter. We're in this coach. And all we see bursting around the corner is four lads. Right, sprinting with their gear on, 
They're ripped T-shirts, dodgy jeans and, and big hair, you know, because that was the look then, 2004. You know, big hair, blonde hair, streak like that, and, and really shit clothes on. So they're running, like, chasing the bus. Cool, cool. Chris is laughing his head off. He's going, brilliant. Speed the bus up, speed the bus up. Slow it down, slow it down. So these lads are thinking they're going to catch the bus, then it speeds up again. And these lads are going. It kept it going for about three and a half miles to the training ground. Made them, made them train in the clothes that went out in and sweat all the booze out. But we still one player missing, right? So we go down to the local um, Tavos, where it was, for a bit of snap afterwards. The lads are still in the training gear. The lads are still in the clothes from the night out, trained all in their clothes, right? We go to the local tapas bar. Who's on the beach? Delirious, out his mind. Still not been home, still not trained. Not even in the clothes he was in the night before. <laughs> Poor Licky Bob. <laughs> Licky Bomb had been missing for nearly nearly 48 hours. Poor Licky Bomb had. He'd been missing for 48 hours. He said to me, I, I, I still have laughs with him about it. I said, what happened that night, mate? What happened? And he was going, you know what? I still don't know. I'm in a taxi with the field car. The, 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 the taxi stops. He opens the boot. and I can't remember much else. I went, what happened? Did you get kidnapped? He went, no, no, no. I just remember him opening the boot and it all going dark and, and dingy after that. I went, did you get kidnapped? He went, no, 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 no. Anyway, he never got on the flight on the way home. I don't know where he kept having blackouts all the way through the rest of the trip. <laughs> and that's, and that's Paul Eckenbottom who, who went on, you know, to manage Barnsley and Leeds. He had like a, a re <laughs> respectful career, essentially, didn't he? Now, I tell you what, while we're on the, while we're on the funny subject enough, of these... Funny enough, that's the Paul Eckenbottom. But that's the Paul Ickebottom who never answers my calls now when I ring him up. No, I'm not, I'm not surprised. <laughs> that story, I know. He's telling that story. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know, because them stories, them stories can kill a man. Them stories can kill a man. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to get in, you're gonna end up in the back of a taxi now just to keep your silence on that one, mate. You know what I mean? Um, ben, let's, uh, let's stay on the subject of some of these stories because uh, I know Ronnie Moore has told a few. Yeah, I, I, it were on under the cosh. I don't know if you might have seen it with uh, Ronnie Moore. He obviously, like, yeah, yeah, quite a good relationship with him from what what it seems like from that interview with him. And he told the story about you punching a referee's door, which almost killed you. It seemed like but when you, your arms gone through it and you've cut your arm. Isn't that funny, Victoria? Isn't that funny? I nearly died. <laughs> You know earlier, like right? Going, yeah, Before we came on air, he went, "Oh, I've got this story about how he nearly killed himself." I was like, "Don't bring that up, Ben!" Like, Christ. <laughs> yeah, bring it up. Bring it up. It's mental health week. Bring it up. Let's bring that out now. Um, yeah, it, unfortunately, true story. It was uh, I just signed there from Leicester. I had um, I had a, a period of time, a loan period of time, where it was all going great, and they wanted to sign me. They, they wanted me to you know, sign and we'd already discussed it. And the last game of probably the loan was Hall away. And we went there and, and I, I got stamped on um, within the game. Um, and I kicked out, got sent off, walked down the tunnel and just punched the door. And, and I had a habit of doing it as a kid. So I kind of regressed back, you know, I'm punching me. I used to punch, you know, the kitchen door, whatever like you do as a kid, you know, big, big thick set thing, just get out of the way. I like punched the door, pissed off, kick the door, however you do. And it's probably a male thing or, 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 you know, an adolescent thing, but I actually reacted that way to the door and, and I didn't know it was a referee's door. There was no sign on it. Um, so I, I pulled my arm out and punched it again. 
and I just walked off and literally, I, I can, like I said, I remember it vividly. I was so fuming, sat down, started having me, uh, me drink and me, obviously me, me, me right hand, started having me drink me right hand. I felt this shooting pain down my arm and then I looked at the floor like, and literally, I must've been in shock or something because I, I looked at the floor and seen all the blood on the floor. And I thought, oh, where's that from? And I, I'm going, oh, must be, someone must be injured in here. And I started walking my room. And that's where, that's where the story comes from. I nearly, because I lost a lot of blood and, and didn't go and seek help because I didn't really remember it that way. I remembered it that I was just walking around the room delirious. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was in shock, obviously. So then I walk out the room and I remember seeing a big striker he's play against called Colin Alside, who was like six foot three, four. And he took one look at me and like passed out because my arm's like spraying. <laughs> and, and, and I've gone, what's up with it? Like, I didn't even realise, like, what's up with him? So I've walked over him like to get to the doctor because obviously I'm, I'm feeling this pain in my arm, but I couldn't see the blood. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I couldn't see the blood. I couldn't see... The, the, what I'd done to my arm. It was like, I said to you, I was in like a shock or something. And of course, I said, I've got this terrible pain in my arm and I've just obviously had a problem getting sent off. I need to see a doctor or something. And they're like, can't you see what's happening to your arm? And I'm going, like, I'd lost loads of blood or whatever. And I looked down and I finally twigged that my arm was bleeding really bad and there was a massive flap. So we, we, we got my flap all sorted. And when I sat on the bed, and like I'd, I'd lost loads of blood, and, and we we got shot to um, Hull um, Hospital, and I was supposed to be going out in uh, Leeds that night with the lads, and and I was I must have still because I had an old big dodgy mobile phone back then, you know the big one, massive one, and I was ringing round for ages like the lads, look, yeah, we can't make it tonight, yeah, and, um, oh, I'm in the hospital, yeah, sorry about that. And it wasn't until the next day I realised like what I'd actually done to my arm about the seventy stitches and all the glass that was in it and seventy and the door. 70. Yeah, seventy. Yeah, I got a massive scar on my arm. It's like a big W now. Uh, wanker, <laughs> honest. <laughs> um, it's like a. Big... And I had um, poor Wednesday. You could say Wednesday, couldn't you? I put Wednesday <laughs> yeah, yeah. on my arm inside the glass and that. You know, that. But no, it was um, not saying that's a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, quick, quick disclaimer. It's, uh, it's not. It we're, we're not the. Uh, you know the. What, what was it? One Direction fans. We're not cutting for Harry. You know what I mean? Let's. You... <laughs> yeah. It's a, it was a, a horrible thing to do and a, and a stupid thing to do and, and I regret it to this day of doing it. But again, it was something that I just had in me as a kid and you know not punch out and get disappointed that way. And I've I, I felt sorry for wasting the time of the, the obviously my gaffer and fans and. I was so disappointed myself the next day when I'd done it, and uh, it kind of pushed the decision forward from Ronnie to to sign me. To be fair, he he, lo- he loved it. He was like he loved telling stories about it. Well, um, I, t- I tell you what, he you was know, like, oh, here he is, here he is. It's weird. It's weird talking about Ronnie now. Before before I go back to back to the other guys, I'm I'm just going to pile on on Ben's point there. There's a story that Ronnie tells on the cosh where somebody cuts in front of a queue. In, in front of in front of you and I want to say Ian Brecken was there as well and there was four of them getting a bit a bit shirty do you, do you know which, which, which story I mean Apparently John, John Brecken John sorry Brecken. John Ian, sorry John Ian's, um, Ian. yeah John Brecken sorry my apologies that's all right Ian's Ian's his nephew right so yeah Ian's a good player Ian. um 
yeah listen that's uh, <laughs> unfortunately something that that that, that did happen. We remembered it wrong, but it, it, there was definitely a, a a bit of hassle. Well, I, the, the way he tells it is that there was four lads that were getting a bit shirted that had pushed in, and you being the social justice warrior that you're obviously renowned as guy, uh, has gone, hey, you, that's that's impolite to push into this queue. And then uh, they were all stood up. <laughs> it sounded like a song there, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounded like you were about to sing. <laughs> hey, you. Um, hey. <laughs> it was... It was how I was as a kid. It's you know, again, I didn't, I never, I never took on board probably the position I was in as a kid, and uh, probably should have. You know, uh, again, uh, if if we had picture phones back then and and um, mobiles of, of they they there now and Snapchat and I'd be I'd be I'd probably yeah. in prison. You'd have played for more clubs because more would have sacked you. Do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> nah, but you you got. You got stitched up a lot when you were playing, um, when you were out, and that people couldn't wait to stitch you up to the club, and people were jealous, you know, and, and that's what that's what I found, you know, a, a lot when we was out, and um, a lot when we was in and around, say Rotherham or Sheffield or Leeds, and they got wind that there was football lads there, and uh, the the young lads get jealous, so we ended up having a lot of hassle um, going out and. I, I was always brought up that way that, you know, you look after yourself the best you can and you try and talk your way out of it. But if it gets to the stage where you're being attacked, you've got to protect yourself. And there, there's plenty of times when, when I, I personally got attacked for my size and, and who I was. And there's plenty of times when I had to protect myself and I never, never wanted to start trouble in, in any shape or form because I, I, I'm as sociable as the next person with a group of people, you know, but if I ever felt injustice and, and things that like Ronnie was telling the story of, you know, I'd willingly say something to somebody because that's how I am as a person now. But, you know, there's, there's ways of managing my my youth that I would have changed. And that's probably one of them. You know, I, I was a bit too forefront and um, willing to say things a bit too many times when I should really have walked away. And that's probably one of them times when I should have walked away on holiday. And again, you, you see these lads now who say I've scraps and you get punched and, you know, they, they bang their head and the, all thing happens and you know they end up going on a court case and you know I've got punched at no end of times and fell to the floor and it could have been me and could have been a friend of mine and worst worst things you know it's so dangerous to go out and do stuff like that and as a kid you, you feel no fear and sometimes you think you're a bit invincible when you're on a few drinks so rightly so I deserved a punch from time to time and rightly so some other lad deserved a punch so it's one of them things. Fair enough. Fair enough. Steve, you've uh, you've done your lean forward, Steve. I, I assume you've got a burgeoning question. Not really. I, to be honest with you, I think he's covered a lot. I'm just, I'm, I'm really into the, it, it seems that you've got such an affinity for Sheffield Wednesday, relatively speaking, because you spent a lot of time at Rotherham. Um, you didn't spend so much time with us. Um, how, how do you see things going at the moment with, with, with Sheffield Wednesday? You're still in touch. Um, you're still following us. You're still sort of observing what's going yeah, on. Cool. How do, you, how, do you, how do you feel things are going at the moment? I, I drive past um, the ground whenever I'm in Sheffield and, and, you know, still get a tingle of that I've played there sort of thing. And, you know, I do that at Leicester City. I do that at a lot of stadiums. But but Sheffield being so special with the fan base that it's got and and the, the way I was treated when I was a player there would always stick by me. And so you're always going to follow the big clubs it's probably the only real disappointment in my career that I've had of not being able to fulfil 
what I thought I'd started to fulfil. Uh, I got the silly sending off against Tramir, um, stamping my authority on the centre forward and got sent off um, for stamping, funny enough. <laughs> and um, I ended up, you know, going and playing really well for a good period of time then after that. And Stuart come in and kind of changed that thought. And, and I, I didn't like a lot of the stuff he was doing. I uh, didn't like him really, if I'm honest, the way he treated me. I didn't like him the way he was as a person, which I'm big on, you know, and, and I knew that, that working for people I don't want to be around, I'd already done that. I'd done that for a long period of time in regards to being at Rotherham for a few years where they were treating me bad. Um, and, you know, I hear some of these like footballers now saying they get treated bad and, you know, you could treat people bad back then. You know, you could actually like section them off of the, the, the team and you can't come in at certain times and, you know, you, you're on your own train and you have to run at the end when everyone else, you know, going on for the lunch and all them different things that they try and get you out of the club with, you know, and, and even even Stork, Stork was sound that way. He, he pulled me pretty much straight away and said, look, you're not going to be part of my plans and kind of changed it straight away as soon as you come in the door. So it was more than a, more than a shove, than a, than a, than a, a walkout. With, with, with that then, Guy, when, when, you talk, when you talk about the way he spoke to you, when he says, you know, you're not going to be part of my plans and stuff like that, would you, in a, in a weird way, would you prefer it like that rather than getting undermined and, and that type of thing? Yeah. I, I, I like, listen, I, I've met Paul Stewart a lot since um, and spent a lot of time with him since and appreciate the man he is. Um, that's the difference in, in with me. I'd rather be told straight, look, it's not going to work out and let's move on and go and play football somewhere else, guy. I had 18 months after Sheffield Wednesday with Oldham, um, which was, I probably played my best football um, and, and until later on again when I played for Torquay. But, you know, there, there's so many, there's so many like bullshitters in football compared to the straight, honest guys like Sturrock was. And you have to appreciate the, the, the honest end. And, and, and Chris Turner was like that. You know, Chris Turner was, wasn't given enough time at the football club. And it's not just because I think that um, he couldn't cope or, or, you know, we were having a dodgy period. This bloke went and got Chris Brunt, mm-hmm. Glenn Whelan, you know, John Paul, Silly Bullen, who's still there now, you know, proudly, made proudly play top, top draw football, which not many managers have done. You know, he, he went and got um, the young lads through the youth system which, you know, Richie and Louis, you know, were top, top draw. He obviously got Dave Lucas in there, who became obviously a top, top keeper for you. Hickey Bottom. And, and Sturrock added to that with, with his players and, and made them, you know, the, the, the side that, that they ended up becoming. But going back to your original question, yeah, of course I track them. You know, it's, a, it's a, an amazing part of my career. Um, I watch now and see uh, the, the disappointment of where they're at. And not because... They, they, they need to be in the Premier League, but the, the structure and the organisation behind the scenes looks in disarray. Uh, it's a massive shell of a football club um, and it should be probably a, a lot further than it, sh- it is now compared to the way it was going under Sturrock. Um, that was you know, 10, 15 years ago. Times are hard. Uh, the new owner seems to be doing stuff, or the old owner now seems to be doing stuff you know, off the cuff, um, no set out plan. Uh, where do you go with with an owner like that? You stay away from him as an employee. You try and keep away from that sort of thing. But the club could be a monster, uh, a powerful beast in the Premier League if done properly. 
they should have got out of the training ground as soon as you won promotion because it was too small. Um, you should have moved and invested in and around the area, probably moved to Stocksbridge and converted that into a training ground or, or Uta Bridge and places like that and made it a bit more of, a, uh, of an investment back into the football club. Dave Allen, by the way, was an unbelievable chairman, um, a great guy. I was guy. just going to ask that, because obviously for us, like Dave Allen is a, a, a dark time in Sheffield Wednesday's history, um, toward, especially towards the end. Um, obviously, Mandarich came in, everything suddenly got great, and then we were handed over to this Thai guy who was going to change the world and he was, you know, tuna books everywhere and that hasn't really happened. But obviously you went to Chesterfield um, later on. Tuna books. He, he yeah, owns yeah. John West Tuna. Tuna books. Tuna books. Yeah. Okay. Tuna okay. Yeah. Um, books. Okay. Yeah. Like no, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah. I went to Chesterfield and I ended up working for him again. Mm-hmm. So what is it? And, what is um, it like? Because we all see him as this harsh businessman who kind of, you know, ran up bills, ran up loans for the club, um, and then walked away. And I think a lot of us as Sheffield Wednesday fans have seen what's happened to Chesterfield and gone, "Well, we told you so." You know, we we could have told you that was coming. But how was he to actually work for? That's also a question from Facebook. I was again. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, um, I appreciate his shrewdness. Um, he's an old school um, business owner, a bit like the Boovies of this world, and you know, struggled paying people big money and struggled in and around. I would say vibrant characters because the old school way of working was you have your boss and you can't really say anything to your boss because he walks past and he pays you your check and you know and and every year that's turned out different leadership leaders are different sorts of beasts now and I think that he, he wanted other people to run it because maybe seeing it as well that it's not my first love and my first love is the casino the dog tracks and and the businesses of that and he's he, the inevitably he's a big Sheffield Wednesday fan you know and and that's always a problem I think when you're running a passion running in a an emotion rather than running a business so I, I went over to Chesterfield with him um, Ashley Carson, one of his mates who runs um, the, the company over the road from the ground uh, and I went and worked with them for three months and was surprised how bad they were at organisation and, and um, football club management mm. um, not, not, not in a disrespectful way it's, they, they, they didn't seem to have that urge anymore to go and run it properly and Chesterfield's a fantastic football club as well, you know, and, and getting the right people in place with the right sort of work ethic and, and attitude and application, there's only inevitably one way that way will go. And, and you know, it's, it's very hard to stop the rot for a period of time. But given time, the football club will inevitably turn because of the size of it. And you'll end up earning more money because of the size of it. And you'll end up taking on better players because of the size of it because it'll attract better. And, you know, the positivity will turn around. I just think, you know, when you're running a club that you're emotionally connected to, it's very difficult to sometimes think straight because your emotions overtake your thought pattern. Mm-hmm. And I think Dave, that happened to Dave on Sheffield Wednesday. And I think that it happened a lot to Chesterfield because he, he tried going into that project, I think, in my opinion, with a, with a different idea of what he did with Sheffield Wednesday. But he, he went there with a genuine passion for the football club and he thought he could save it from it spinning out of control. 
and he just didn't spend enough time there to, for it just because when he used to turn up even at Chesterfield for the three months I, I knew he'd crack the whip and things would get done when he wasn't there no no it was getting done no it was moving quick and the club now Chesterfield Football Club is ran by John Crooch who was a community guy at the time fantastic guy well liked by the council well liked by the football um, ownership group now and will hopefully turn that football club around but inevitably it's got to be run by people who know about football mm-hmm. and if you don't have people involved in football who know about football and how the intricate detail and how the football clubs work and how footballers work and how football agents work and how football staff work then you will get caught out because it's like no other business and I've been around lots of businesses. It's like that's, no that's, that's, that's incredible, yeah, because obviously, you know, that's the same issue that we've got at Sheffield Wednesday right now. We've got a guy in charge who's who's not a football man. You know what I mean? So I tell you what, listen, that, that's an hour, Dave. I'm going to come to you last because I've uh, I've been looking at your little face there, and I've, uh, <laughs> I've I've only come to you the once. My apologies. Can you can you take us out this evening? Uh, yeah, I'm going to ask a question just to kind of tie in your career in general, Guy. And it's, this is an abstract question, but it's linked into our Wednesday art at the moment, maybe. So you've come through your career, you've had lots of loan spells, you've came down to a lower league from a Premier League club, and you've made a career. Obviously, you've only had your time once, and you, you, you make the best of what you've got. Um, what's happening now more in football across the board is a lot of young players are coming into teams. Uh, they're coming, they're doing well in the 18s and then the 23s. And they get a couple of games for the first team, and then they have got a very high opinion, or they appear to have a very high opinion of themselves straight away. And that's then causing clubs like Wednesday and many other clubs who have got young emerging talents not to be able to hold on to them because these young lads have got such a high opinion of themselves, perhaps. Um, so, my question to you is compared to what you did in your career, to what a lot of these young lads are doing now. What is it that we can do to try and stop this sort of thing happening? Have, is there value in going out and playing lower football as a young footballer to get subjected to the men's game, if you like, in inverted commas? Uh, and, and, what's, and what's your view on these young players that perhaps think they can run before they can walk? Um, good ending. Um, <laughs> I, I Personally, I'm, I'm, my job now is the loans manager at Leicester City, so I have them discussions a lot. Um, you know, player pathways a big thing for me. Understanding player pathways, uh, everyone's a, an individual, and that's the most important thing, obviously, to understand. They're not all uh, going to go down the same route as each other. And getting to know the players and probably building rapport with the players from, I would say, all levels of the club are very important for the player to buy into the football club. So if you want a player to stay, um, I would say club, you know, it, it goes down to, we used to have a, um, a player's lounge and it's Sheffield Wednesday. And and I, I went through loads of clubs with no player's lounge. I went through loads of clubs with player's lounge. But I can always remember that the best clubs, that the best players stayed at for long periods of time, always had a player's lounge where the lads felt secure they could be themselves there were only families in there of their families and teammates and very, very, very minimal staff. Um, it might just be the barman or bar lady or the lady who did the food or the man who did the food, whatever, whichever way you want to look at it. And the odd person bouncing in and out. And Lindsay was a big pusher of that. You know, we made sure that Lindsay was like the, the vibrant PR that she was and PA that she was. 
and, and inevitably was top class at all the other rest of the stuff because she went on to be the secretary of the football club and still does a tremendous job for the football club. So whenever I look back, if you ever want a player to buy into a football club, treat him right. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Treat him right from top to bottom. So as soon as the player comes in the door to when the player's leaving after training, to when the player's mum and dad are coming to the ground, that the stewards route to them on the fucking car park or or whatever, make sure these players are treated right because then they'll treat the football club right because mm-hmm. inevitably they want to be footballers. And if they feel like they're being treated right by the football club, they won't need to stamp their heels because they're at a massive football club anyway. You know, why would, why would a young 20, I would say 19, 20-year-old want to leave Sheffield Wednesday when he sees a pathway into the first team? If he doesn't see a pathway into the first team, again, he's not being treated right. He should be shown that. Mm-hmm. And with the staff that's took over the first team, um, with the staff that's took over the first team in Neil Thomas, uh, Nicky Weaver, Lee Bullen, mm-hmm. they should be only promoting that pathway into the first team right now because inevitably their season's not going the way they want it to go anyway. And they should be looking to put players in from the youth system or what's the point of having a youth system at the football club? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you're spending millions of pounds on a youth system. So you've got to use it and um, use it in the right way. And, and you're only going to produce players by making them feel wanted at a football club from top to bottom, from the age of eight years of age to, you know, 23 when, when hopefully they're in the first team and they're, they're the main people and they're the main guys. Did that answer the question or was it too much? It did. Yeah, that's it did. Thank you so much for joining us, Guy. Uh, uh, apologies if you had a few sound issues tonight, ladies and gentlemen, as well. I've, uh, there's been all sorts of noises well, kicking off in my head. A horn, then. Yeah, it's what he sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, he's probably got 22 quid stuffed up his Uta right now. Big round of applause for Guy Branston. Vic, take us off Facebook. There we go. The Wednesday Week is sponsored by Michael Constantine Wealth Management. We bet you can't find a financial advisor closer to Hillsborough Stadium. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. You've got all your mates round. You've got your McNugget chair boxes coming down the left wing, ready to go. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget. Snatching all three points, back of the net. Lubosh! Automate delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for more information. See you later. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.